Welcome to the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Hi, I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, a senior writer with the ABA Journal. Today, I'm speaking with Sam Glover, the founder and editor-in-chief of Lawyerist, which has been described as the world's largest online community of solo and small firm lawyers. He's also a practicing lawyer focused on writing motions and appeals. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thanks, Stephanie. You see Lawyerist as a media company rather than a blog. Can you explain the distinction for our listeners? Yeah, you know, there's always been discussion about what is a blog and what is not. But I think of a blog as somebody expressing their opinions or a group of people expressing their opinions about a subject, sounding forth on things. And that's not really what we do, and it hasn't been what we do for years. Um, I mean, it started out as a blog, and we use the same software that many blogs use. But our articles tend to be longer and in-depth. We try to make them authoritative and well-researched. And, you know, we also have a discussion forum, we have podcasts, we have books. There's a lot more going on on Lawyerist than just blog posts. When did that dawn on you, what you just said? I think that's really an interesting point. And that, you know, for this really to be meaningful to people, we can't just do blog posts. We have other things that we need to be doing as well. When did that hit you? Well, I think it was just an evolution. And, you know, people were interested in Lawyerist because... We were helping them understand things like going paperless or uh, implementing technology or picking computers or um, basic stuff like alternative fee arrangements and how you could bill flat fees or what the changing economic landscape looks like for lawyers. And it started to make sense for us not to just say, here's my opinion on this, but actually to lay it out there and explain it with authoritative links and resources and sometimes with independent research when we can't find anything to back it up. We try to go find it ourselves. And so I think it just sort of dictated itself because that's what people need. And there isn't a whole lot of that information out there about the nuts and bolts of practicing law in the changing legal market. Do you think too, sometimes it's hard to cut through like what really is the nuts and bolts of practicing law and what people who practice law and earn a living at it want to know versus what people are trying to sell you to practice law because it seems like that group is getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, and you know, we've really tried not to be consultants for sale. You know, I did consulting once or twice and decided it wasn't for us. We wanted to remain a publication and we do occasionally sell our publications, but we aren't in the business of trying to convince people to buy what we're selling because I think it's hard to be uh, authoritative and um, I think you, you have a conflict there. But it hasn't been hard for us to separate out what do people need to know because they ask us. And because for a long time while I was actively practicing, it was stuff that I wanted to know and that my colleagues wanted to know. And so, you know, we started from that and we've just sort of tried to build our resource from there. And you mentioned that if there was something you wanted to know and there didn't seem to be an answer, you'd go out and get it yourselves. Can you give me an example of that? I mean, was it something where you would mine your discussion groups? How would you find out information? Um, it depends. We, we do our own surveys sometimes. 
um, and we've gotten some good information that way. Sometimes we'll uh, just go out and sometimes all you can get is anecdotes. And so you just ask as many people as you can find to try and uncover information about stuff. And that can be anything from pricing information to um, our people. I guess one of the things that I always wanted to know when I was starting is how long does it take after you hang a shingle before you can feel good about where your finances are? And so I just went out and asked everybody I could find. And, you know, sometimes that's not statistically accurate data, <laughs> but sometimes it's better than, it's anic data. It's better than, than nothing that is out there. So, so we try to do that. Um, we also do a lot of uh, just research. For example, everybody who talks about access to justice talks about 80%, right? 80% of the people who need legal services can't get them. But that 80% number doesn't say what most people say it does. Um, it's old. It's very specific. And we've been really trying to explore what can we really say about the access to justice gap because 80% does not describe that gap accurately. And so I don't have an answer yet. Uh, but that's something that we've been in the process of trying to dig into deeper and figure out because there isn't any good information about that. And we want to know because lawyers need to know when everybody's standing up and saying, here's an opportunity or here's a need, what is the need really? And what is the opportunity really if it's there? Well, and do you think that what is the opportunity? That's the huge question because it seems mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. for some time we've known that there's a lot of people who need lawyers that can't afford them and they don't qualify for legal aid. But we also know, certainly your audience knows as they're trying to support themselves from their practices, how can you reach these people but do it in a way that you can make a living too? What what that's like the million dollar question right now. And it seems to me that like what your readers have to say might be more useful than someone who hasn't practiced law and is writing a think piece about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, which is, you know, one of the reasons why we are doing a conference now to bring lawyers together who are already working on these problems. And our TBD law conference, we've got people who've built their own document assembly platforms, um, people who are building chatbots to answer immigration law questions. It's really neat to see what lawyers are actually coming up with, um, because the most interesting solutions usually come from within practice itself. But yeah, with the access to justice question, there's the percentage of people who are qualifying for legal aid who get turned away is, is one piece of it. Then there's the people who fall in between that income level, the ceiling for legal aid, and the people who we traditionally think of as good clients who can pay. There's that there's that gap in the middle there. And, and there's a lot more going on than just cost, but there's no good information about the size of that gap, the gap between people who qualify for legal aid and people who can afford or traditionally hire lawyers. And there's a huge opportunity in there that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with cutting fees. And so trying to get our heads around that is pretty interesting. And, and yeah, some of that information comes from lawyers who are actually out there practicing and the kinds of experiences they're having. Uh, and some of it comes from just you know, digging up census data and economic data and trying to make sense of it all. Do you find from your readership that it's a lot harder to make a living as a solo or a small firm now than it was, say, 10 years ago, particularly if you represent consumers? There are some studies that say that, but it's not clear to me how accurate they are. There was a really interesting discussion that broke out between a couple of law professors who were using different sets of data to try and figure that out. You know, it's... The trend does seem 
that uh, it's a little bit harder to make a living as a solo or a small firm lawyer today than it was five or 10 years ago. But there's a lot of factors that could be influencing the way that data looks. So I think it's hard to say and kind of inconclusive. I mean, anecdotally, there are plenty of successful solo and small firm lawyers out there still. So there's still plenty of opportunity there for smart lawyers to make a good living. So I, I don't really know what to do with that data. Um, but when I look around, I still see a pretty healthy and vibrant solo and small firm profession. So, Well, that's, that's great news. How did you make the transition from being a lawyer who solely practiced law to being a lawyer who also runs a media company? Well, and I should clarify, I kind of joke and call myself a hobby lawyer these days. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I always maintain one pro bono project. Uh, currently, it's I'm local counsel for an amicus brief, and I volunteer every other month at the, at the courthouse for the, the self-help clinic there. But I should clarify that I, I mostly do lawyering as a hobby, I would say, and I realize how that sounds, but I, I think it's kind of a funny way to characterize it. it is. But essentially, when it came time to transition to lawyerist full-time, it was pretty clear. The site and the business had grown to the point where it needed someone's attention full-time, and I was the logical person to give it that attention. You know, I'd also, I had peeled off my litigation practice and I sold that. I had been practicing small tech startup law for a couple of years and it wasn't inspiring me. I wasn't loving it as much as I thought I would when I decided to make that change. And so it wasn't a very hard decision. Uh, my wife and I talked about it and she said, you know what, let's give it a shot and try it and see how it goes for a couple of years. And when, what year was that? I guess that was about three years ago, a little over three years ago. Okay. And how rewarding is your site for you financially and otherwise? It provides a good living. Um, there's, uh, I used to joke and say, uh, the deal, initial deal was my wife said, okay, you can do this, but you have to keep applying for other jobs. She's told me I don't have to apply for other jobs anymore. And this is as well or better than my law practice uh, ever was. So, so it, it's fine. It supports three full-time people. Uh, two part-timers, and about two dozen regular writers. And I'm, I'm really excited and proud of that. That's pretty awesome that we've done all of that in about the last three years. So, um, so it's pretty exciting. And, and I love the job. Uh, I love getting out and talking with lawyers, trying to build community, and just trying to patch those holes in the knowledge out there that lawyers just need to know to get their jobs done. Great. Sam, that's everything I wanted to ask you today. Would you like to add anything else? I don't have a lot to add. Just uh, if, you're not, if you're not reading Lawyerist, we'd like you to come and check it out. And if you are reading Lawyerist and you're not finding what you want there, let us know. Reach out to us and tell us. Because as I've been saying throughout this podcast, our goal is to figure out what people need and provide that information. And uh, we'd love to hear that from you. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Stephanie Francis Warren, and you've been listening to the ABA Journal's Legal Rebel Trailblazer podcast series. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.